at least like at this stage, uh, I do think prioritizing this shipping things and see how people use it uh, is benefiting the startup like way more, like our company way more than just me sitting here thinking about what is the perfect user flow to do that. Uh, because there are a lot of just use cases, like it's impossible for us to discover uh, until like we get this tool used by users. Welcome to Humans of AI, where we tell the real stories of those who are building an AI or making use of it in their daily lives. Today's guest is Chun Jiang, the founder of Monterey AI, an AI startup looking to be your co-pilot for product insights. Coming from a background of urban design and architecture, Chun has built design-centric AI products across industries like self-driving cars and geospatial data platforms. If you want to catch the latest episodes, make sure to subscribe and check out my free AI newsletter, Chaos Theory. And find me on social at Alex Chowmander. Now, without further ado, here's my talk with Chun. All right. Hello, everybody. I'm Alex. I'm here joined with my good friend Chun. She is the founder of Monterey AI, a startup that's looking to help people get better insights and analytics about their data using generative AI techniques to, to surface those. She and I have known each other for quite a long time. We were colleagues at, at Uber's uh, Advanced Technologies Group. And yeah, I mean, I've just really enjoyed seeing her path to being a, a startup founder that she is today. But she can tell a better story. So without further ado, Chen, do you want to describe who are you? What's your origin story? Awesome. Thank you for having me here. Super excited. Uh, as Alice mentioned, we know each other almost a half decade, five years, six years after now. Uh, so my name is Trin. I'm CEO and co-founder of Bantra AI. Uh, so what we are building is kind of co-pilot for product insights. So we help companies to kind of aggregate all the unstructured qualitative data, including like, user feedback, support tickets, social media mentions, uh, sales transcripts from all different sources, uh, and make it super easy to analyze. Uh, so companies that are focusing on B2C or like PLG part, uh, their product team and engineering team can come here directly asking questions like, hey, can you tell me what the top fast, top bug reports, how much like connected uh, account value we can unlock with solving the issues. Yeah, so a bit touch on the origin story. I knew Alex from like six years ago when I was in, at the Uber self-driving uh, department. And that was actually my first job out of the school. Back in school, in undergraduate, I was actually in design architecture school. And then it got me, I was like really fast, always like fascinated about like uh, optimizing like energy flow or like traffic flow or kind of like using design to, using like parametric design to come up with like cool concept. And back then it was actually the first time I started really learning about like CS. Uh, and then when I interned at Uber at their like at the map design group, I see like how how cool it was to, to design the interaction between like digital product uh, and like humans. And after I finished school, never looked back, got into tech, got into like, AI uh, right away. So I have been working at companies like Uber and Scale AI, always focusing on like, hey, what is the best way to like bring the best experience to cutting edge like technologies in the AI space? Yeah, I mean, I think. In the self-driving space, I, one, one thing that's probably not as appreciated enough is a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes work to create good tooling for people to better understand the data, to visualize it, to interact with it, especially because this data is often like 3D in nature, and you want to be able to, whether like pan across different space, time, and, and see things in a different lens. I guess Chen, from that time, building these sort of tools... 
what are the sort of takeaways design-wise that you've taken to heart as lessons that you carry even today? Yeah, so that's a really good question because like I definitely feel like every time I make product decision on design decisions right now, uh, I reference so much for the historical work that we've done at ATG. Uh, which is a self-driving department. So for me, it's always it's really hard building a tool in generative AI space. Uh, you are designing different types of trust at the same time. So like you're designing the trust like, between human and the tool itself. So how do we make users feel confident about the generated like results? Uh, how do we take this kind of user actions into uh, the results like for engineering team to improve the models on? But at the same time, you're also kind of like designing the trust between like data and now this kind of like foundational models to a sense, uh, because we can always do so much with like data manipulation, augmentation of that, but we don't really know how this like performs until it passes this model layer and get a tool into the users. So there's like a lot of gaps or like trust there uh, that can be, there's like a lot of things I need to do to think about, hey, what is the best way for us to design a feature that not only serving the end user, but also for the company, for the tool to improve like, the model and then on the data, like for in general. I think since the time that we've been in that industry, a lot of things have changed, but also a lot of things have stayed the same. But one thing that has been the case is you're starting to see more of these cars out on public streets, uh, you know, without a driver in, in front of them. And there's a whole sort of user journey, user experience from how people book a ride to actually what they see in the car itself to yeah. you know the post-trip experience. I guess, where would you say is currently, from your vantage point, yeah. um, a gap in where design is uh, for any parts of that experience? Yeah, um, I then have into taking visualizing a car itself as that example, like uh, when designers think about, hey, what's the best way to like visualize a car? Should we use like a cloud point? Should we use sounding box? Should we use like the real shape of the car? It's actually serving a lot of different use cases. So as uh, you can probably see like, uh, if you are riding like a self-driving car, you see a very realistic vision, like a visualization of the cars around you because in mean, that way, like we tell you like, hey, what is this car thinking? Uh, and what is, how this car is like, uh, helping you identify what are objects around and drive you safely. Uh, but the same visualization of the car internally for engineering team, engineering team will be different because it's serving the simulation system. So you want more data around it to identify, hey, do we need to focus on this edge case more? Um, and then it's also then very different from like the labeling cases when we wanted to identify whether the label data, whether this is a car or not, whether the label data is like right or not. Uh, we send that to the humans to identify, uh, to like validate that point. At that point, we need this kind of like this view to show you like, hey, this is kind of like machine generated labels versus like human labels. Uh, so at that time, we need to like really focus on the overlap between like only boxes. So I feel like this is just an example of like how visualization a simple car will vary so much uh, in the self-driving cases. And then I think taking that into what is the gap right now, uh, yeah, like visualizing car is like the first step. 
And then what's the best way to visualizing the road? What is the best way to visualizing how you can interact with the car? Should we kind of like expose to the end users when the car is uncertain about things? So like all of this edge cases and trying to simulate how humans think when they drive is something, it's like a rabbit hole. You can get into deeper and deeper there. Yeah, I mean, there's no shortage of these type of human computer interaction type problems that are all over the self-driving car space. Actually, going back to something that you mentioned uh, in terms of your background, you mm -hmm. said that you studied uh, architecture in school. And one thing that I'm actually curious about is what's the distinction between architecture and design? So I was like in urban design in architecture school. So kind of like different, but like more related. It's kind of like a very connected in a sense, because when you're doing like urban design, you're thinking about how your uh, functional buildings or all this kind of traffic infrastructure are uh, affecting all the like policies they're affecting like how humans perceive the city affecting all the commercialization of like uh, economy uh, in a local sense uh, and then to taking that into like self-driving or into like AI startups AI tools in general uh, it creates the same level of complexity because I know like a lot of people are talking about hey is this AI gonna like automate my job is this AI gonna like argument my job so like what is kind of like downstream effect about like deploying all this like tools there um, and then I think I admit the main differences there is it's very easy for companies or builders right now to build up something and start deploying it massively. And to be honest, for a lot of uh, companies, like we wanted to, you know, have a good like financial return. I wanted to like make money uh, to that. So, like our goal is always going to be kind of like revenue on the first. So the deployment, the iteration will be like really, really fast, but on the like urban design or like policy design or architecture side, like you went, you go through this like really long cycle of talking with policymakers, uh, coming up with different simulations and concepts to make sure everyone is aligned on the outcome. Definitely longer cycle to plan things, more discussion with different stakeholders than now with like AI tools, we just, you know, do it and then ask for forgiveness or fix things like um, after it's getting adopted. Do you personality wise, do you find yourself enjoying this move fast, break things type of approach versus the, what do you want to call it? More drawn out, methodical, maybe you could call it perfectionist style approach to design. At least like at this stage, uh, I do think prioritizing this shipping things and see how people use it uh, is benefiting the startup like way more, like our company way more than just me sitting here thinking about what is the perfect user flow to do that. Uh, because there are a lot of just use cases, like it's impossible for us to discover uh, until like we get this tool uh, and, like, used by users. So for example, one like uh, we started by like serving product managers and like CX analysis like, team directly but then we start seeing people using our tool to identify who are the right uh, users to interview for new features. So uh, all this kind of new use cases, we're not going to discover until like we see how it's like getting used in real field. Um, but at the same time, I think I start trying to like make everything as easy as possible. Um, but that there's also the debate between like, hey, do we want to create this like more opinionated workflow uh, for users to know like how to use our tool 
versus kind of like wild west and like serving every use cases. So there's like always a balance, uh, but I enjoy coming up with like new interaction ideas um, every day and just to see how people react to it. That evolution, that startup journey of discovering what not only what is the right user flow, but even like who is your user? I'm sure it's yeah. uh, been a been a journey and a process uh, throughout. I'm super curious now you know, with Monterey, with what you're currently doing, could you share a bit more, maybe give a demo of, of what it is that your, your product is you know, seeking to solve? Yeah, of course. Let me pull up the product. So when we're pitching this idea, uh, we mainly focus on like two use cases that we do really well. So right now for companies who have, who enterprise customers uh, or for B2C companies, uh, there are a lot of product ideas like floating around, um, but it's really hard to gather relevant data and evidence to the right like product teams. So this kind of routing and triaging process uh, is something that we, we work with like customer to understand like the taxonomy and what are the strategic initiatives they care about, what are the product areas that they want us to route the data to. So instead of having product operation manager or CX team like spending so much time like reading through every uh, feedback to come up with a kind of like static report. We make that process automatic uh, and then in real time. And the other use cases that we serve really well is like giving the access to everyone in the company a super easy way to interact with the data. Um, so I can share a bit here. This is kind of the demo data set of what we uh, put together for Spotify. Uh, and these are all the like user feedback or app reviews from Apple Store and Google Play Store. Uh, so here you can see we auto like categorizing every kind of like data into feature requests, bug reports, appreciation, questions right away. And if the company has like a project area, we just triage that to, it, to them. Uh, and then coming into the second use cases that we Oh, this is also kind of like a high level uh, overview, uh, really giving a fast way for the users, for the product team to see like what are the emergent, urgent issues um, and what are what is the distribution and they can dive into the details to find out either, uh, what is the context behind each like, instant or feature request. Uh, and then here is like what we are, I was uh, talking about the second use cases because a lot of like time, we all have this kind of product ideas uh, or best that we wanted to find the data to validate. But then in companies, especially in like large companies, it takes a lot of time, takes a lot for you to go to data scientists, data analysis, uh, trying to find the right data source uh, and then put together uh, some data report uh, in like hours or days. Uh, but then like this kind of decision batting process or making process should be like much faster. Uh, so we wanted to bring the analysis of that data to your fingertip. So here you can see, you can ask questions like, hey, what are the top opportunities? Uh, what are kind of top feedback on subscription from Q4 2022 for this segment of users? Um, we will just like go find the relevant data uh, for you right away. And you can see like, oh, there are like 48 feedback or tickets mentioned about like subscription. Uh, this car kind, of, kind of like the summary pain point or data uh, for the product team to identify whether this is like a real like use case. Is there like opportunity? Is there some like uh, commercial risk that we should solve it right away? Very cool. I love being able to just see in one view, right? All the customer signals that honestly, I'm sure it was a 
an exercise to just grab all the different you know data points and and just bring it into one uh, but also just even like okay now that you have it it's it's even it's a huge design question it's it's so much data yeah. right even if it's just yeah. mock data right it's so much data how can i read through every single comment every single review and and then from there how do i even like take action from it i'm i'm curious to to know um mm -hmm. maybe at the high level how is ai fitting in to help either supercharge or even like create some differentiated product experiences yeah so when we first like uh, trying to build this kind of proof of concept. Uh, we're solely relying on model providers like API uh, to kind of like really walk through this happy path first. So like you mentioned, like you want to have give users this like great way of synthesizing the feedback, uh, identify top issues and act on it and go back like communicate with the users. And now we're almost like one year old. Uh, right now we have like eight different models uh, training each with each other. Uh, we have models like specializing in spam filtering, uh, PII masking, encryption. Uh, we have like definitely sentiment analysis, uh, keyword of that. Uh, the real, the really great thing about large range model for us first is that you understand the kind of intent behind behind like each uh, data point. So for the past like ten years. Uh, we have a lot of a social listening platform uh, for brands and CPG industry, uh, but then keyword extraction and sentiment analysis like don't really help on like coming up with actionable and crispy uh, product insights. And a large language model helps with helps us with that. Uh, and then the second thing is like uh, when I was uh, showing this generate the or go find the relevant feedback. I will use the generated like model to triple like three point five to kind of like come up with that summary for you. Uh, so these are where I see where we benefit the most from like a large language model. If you could have a wish list, or if you already have this wish list of what you want the AI to do today for your product, but that's currently maybe not being uh, solved or being met. We've been spent a lot of time like trying to make this kind. Of self-healing of the models uh, by taking like every action uh, from the users into like improving the model performance for next time when you ask questions or like triage. So that is something we're currently doing. Uh, I think from the model or like AI side, I don't know. I think definitely more control to a sense. This is, this is kind of like a chicken egg problem. This is really not like a model problem to a sense too, because right now everyone wants to use tools like this. But it's also hard for humans to describe like what is really useful, what is like granular, what is like accurate in them, especially in like a corporate environment or like work environment because everyone has so different workflow. Um, so nothing we wanted to like have a benchmark of how users see AI, but if there's something we can cook there to encourage like, both sides to understand both sides more. That would be great. Uh, so one design and debate I always have from uh, when I think about like our products, like, how much control we should uh, open for users. Uh, because we have, when we're returning this kind of relevant like, feedback, we set different like similarity threshold. Should we open that for users, uh, right? How, what is the cadence issue we're looking for when we're taking like users feedback into users the reaction to our um, product. So all this kind of question, how to like encourage the users better understand the AI results, but also work with AI is something 
really interesting. That's often a very tough dynamic where, yeah, you want to not overwhelm the user with too much yeah. information um, because they're already using your product to synthesize a lot of information. They don't want to be you know, bombarded with more, more info. Uh, but at the same time, right, you want to make the product better and to surface the right information. And you, can, you only know that when the users are giving you explicit signals or feedback or, or things yep. like that. So exactly. Yes. Chicken and egg problem. Well, transitioning away from talking about the company, which I, you know, I think is super exciting. You know, all of the listeners should definitely check out Monterey AI. I wanted to actually go into some more of your own thoughts around some topics, specifically actually about some of the things that are emerging uh, mm. and maybe are starting to get at least more buzzworthy type attention. But I'm curious to see how you, with your point of view, how you approach the topic. The topic's actually about agents. So agents is this emerging thing. You can call it a, a trend or, or a hype, <laughs> but it's this idea, right? That the AI, if, if you give it access to tools or even your computer, your directory and all that stuff, and you give it a, a goal, a, a task to do, that it can actually start running or working by itself autonomously to achieve that. I guess that concept as a whole, yeah. what do you think of it? Do you think it is the way of the future it, or is it something else? How do you see it fitting into how you do things? It's really hard to keep up with like all the new concepts right now. I think like AI agents, I mean, like it makes sense. If we were thinking about like going back to the self-driving, right? Like world, the whole add-on autonomous driving, the car itself, the system itself, the AI itself can simulate what a driver can do. And then I think that will be probably the end goal of like AI agent too, because we literally just want to like simulate a human, right? Like I did the end day. And then AI agents right now is like picking different uh, like specialization tasks with a little bit more kind of like degree of like freedom uh, for it to play around. I think it makes sense. Like what I would be curious to see is what are like end users or like end customers um, like what are the things that they feel the most comfortable uh, for this AI agent types platform to work? Are they more willing to build their like, own agent or do they want to say, hey, I want an AI like travel planner versus the AI like stock analyzer uh, come here to serve me? And if that's the case, how is that different than like all the specialized like, SaaS like service we're providing right now, right? So I had this like a discussion actually with what, uh, Cole, our founding ML engineer today too. I was like, Cole, can you explain to me that what is AI agent from with your words? And so he gave me the example. He's like, that's literally what our chat is doing. Like go fetch the relevant like feedback, go relevant data, tell you and generate like charts. So all of that. So, um, but at the same time, I do think there's so much we can do there to kind of like give users more way of like control and train their AI agents in the intermediate step. So if there's ways like when the travel agent will say, can say, hey, I want to pull the information from uh, like Google Trips or like Expedia or that, and you can be like, hey, I don't have like a membership uh, account with Expedia, so like exclude that. So kind of like, not like train your puppy or train your, train your admin or like, little bit virtual assistant uh, to, to a sense. But another like analogy I use, like 
there are a lot of virtual assistant uh, websites coming up right now. And then they started with kind of remote assistance uh, from like, other countries. And then like I was trying to delegate some of my work uh, to kind of remote assistant, virtual assistant, but it would take me like quite a long time to really write down what each step of, of one small task should be. Uh, and then there are a lot of like, if then, if then, if then, and then mm-hmm. if if you don't know, like, do it's like funny. So if we wanted to make the AI agent work, that would be the kind of like workflow that mm-hmm. end users need to go through to build that. I love how you describe it in terms of a workflow or like a user journey. I think it very speaks to the designer in you. I like this <laughs> this phrase that you use. That it's like agents feel very much like specialized SaaS already. And a lot of the, the SaaS offerings, even if they're describing themselves as using AI, you could imagine that maybe in the future, an agent can more or less do that same thing. The difference being that, right, instead of you having to build it all from scratch, right, maybe the agent can piece it together step-by-step step, or even like do the job of the the engineers to to build it. You mentioned a word uh, earlier about control and how like people are m- maybe not as willing to give up control for these sort of things, or they want to have control over the right. the outputs of of these AI. And I think the the agents piece is still very much like that, right? If there was a perfect agent today, right? And I think you just contrasted to your experience with like virtual human assistant, right? Yeah. Where you're trying to offload or delegate some some tasks to to that person. You yourself are finding that, oh yeah, I have to specify if then, if then sort of rules. And even doing so is could be very time consuming by itself. So I imagine people will still want to express this sort of control to the agent. And at that point, it's really just, as you said, just feels like specialized SaaS. I think like, this is also my bet is a lot of users um, are looking for AI advisor rather than like AI agents. There's not going to be that much differences um, if we have a very repeatable uh, process that like, someone can follow. Like we don't know they're going to care whether it's like a person or like AI. But uh, at the same time, if the AI can come here telling me like, hey, in order to achieve this goal, you need to do all this step. And then these are all the steps we learn from like historical uh, work or from like other uh, players in the same industry. I think that will be the, like, it's just going to provide like, way much value for customers to a sense. Yeah, definitely agree. So we've talked about what the majority of a lot of people are maybe hyped about or talking a lot about in in AI. But there's also this other side of the house that I think each of us bring a unique perspective to. And that's about like, what are people not talking about or not paying enough attention to um, in this field, in this space? And I'd I'd be curious to see uh, or hear what what you have to say to that. That was a, that's a great question. Uh, I think there are two things I want to talk about. The first is like, we, we talk about this about like three or four years ago is about the privacy uh, of like end users part. I guess in the non-AI world, we still haven't find a greater solution of like protecting how everyone's individual data is getting used uh, for advertisement and targeting all of that. Uh, we, we talk about this idea of like having joining that lineage of how 
my interaction with one website is getting a twist to other websites, right? So now we have this like AI. Now we have uh, a lot of like young kids and teenagers post about their very like, sensitive like picture online. We have like parents post about their kids like pictures online. What are we going to do when there are more audience who are capable of like using AI and like having like easier tool to create stuff like child porn of that or like fake news of that. Um, so I think that's something like we don't talk about enough. Um, so I remember one of my friends, uh, the founder of like Reality Defender, uh, he mentioned about there are, there are only 3% of the venture funding like investment uh, are invested into the tools that are protecting, uh, like fighting fraud, fighting uh, deep fake to a sense. So it's great to see like all the advancement uh, of like AI to empower everyone to create like more visually appealing like, image, uh, more like art, like assets. Uh, but at the same time, like I don't, I, I don't think we're talking enough about like the security and the downside and the privacy part, especially how that gonna affect like next generation. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is something I find when I sell my tool and when I, when I see who are the people like adopting tool or for me as someone who really love, loves touching different parts of the product development process is like the roles uh, in a company will be evolving. Right now we have the tools to help you to do the work that usually take uh, require like data scientists, data analysis to do. Right now, PM can start doing design. Designers can start like coding. Code engineers can engineers can automate their QA work, uh, right? Or like using our tool to identify what are product insights. So, like, if that's the case, how would the organization design evolve uh, when all the AI tools are deployed to the enterprises? Are we gonna have more like general managers popping up? Are we gonna have start having like one person taking one feature from an end to end? So like that is also something like I don't see many people talk about, uh, but that's probably just like a matter of time. The two points about privacy concerns and like the evolution of the org chart, if you want to frame it that way. <laughs> I think that those are very interesting takes on something that for the first part, like I'm personally super interested. I remember these type of conversations that. I mean, you and I have had where, yeah, like how does someone, right, even pre-AI, pre-ChatGPT, right, how would someone even know like, like their data is being used anywhere, right? Yeah. You could have, and as you said, like people are posting more about themselves, whether that be on TikTok, Instagram, et cetera. And that is effectively becoming training data for something down the line. And you don't know that. You don't know that as a user, you're, you're effectively giving up those rights whenever you sign up for these right. platforms, right? And, and use these platforms. I think if more people were aware that this is happening, they probably would be less likely or less willing to just be like, okay, like, or not read the terms and conditions, just like skip over and that they might be more, more hesitant to, to do so. We have, we have the technology to do that. It's just like, Without like a sponsorship or without like policy invention, uh, the cost of like running those anti-fraud or detection not going to make sense for end consumers. Uh, and then not many people going to pay for that. So there's also like a gap between, like, hey, 
how do we deploy the safety focused AI tools to the massive, but also giving enough incentive financially for the startups to work on that? And on your second point, it actually goes to my next question where the sort of evolution of the org chart, where people's roles start to morph, start to blend, start to maybe even be replaced. It feels like a disruptive time that a lot of people have to reinvent themselves, have to figure out how they are going to adapt uh, in this new environment, especially for someone who has come from a maybe like non-typical background for, for this field. What would you say or what advice would you give for people who are just starting to ask these sort of questions of like, oh, I'm a new college student or what major should I do? What things should I study? Is my degree worthless? How, how would you advise or speak to those people? My biggest takeaway is always like be curious about things and like don't be afraid of like, oh, everyone else was studying CS for like years or for decades, like too late for me to do something. Uh, like now we have all the like online courses. We have like easier tools for you to local, local tool for you to like, you'd ask. And uh, just like start learning, start trying it out. I think like instead of being afraid of like whether my degree or like job's going to be worthless, it's like everyone's iterating, right? Companies are iterating, all the enterprises are iterating, even Fortune 100 company, they can't really just like sit there and like wait for all the money. If they don't iterate, they don't learn, they don't like pivot, they're going to lose in like years and decades. The same for like if we want to create like exciting things that we just need to keep like learning uh, and be curious about different technologies. Curiosity is definitely a very human trait, and it's one that you it's a not... cat trait. It's a cat trait. That's <laughs> right. You should be using that to not just advance yourself, but also to just stay in the know of what's going on, so that you can be prepared for whatever the future has. So, as we're wrapping up, one of the last sort of more fun type questions that I like to ask you is a lot of the of our perspectives on life or our, you know, how we how we do things, they're often informed by maybe the media or books, movies, shows, different sources. If you could give the listeners, like what would be a recommendation for for one of those things or book, movie, sector that has been very formative for your own way of approaching life? Well, I definitely read and like watch a lot of random things because I do think like what I'm good at is like connecting different dots. So I try to kind of break out of my like comfort zone, not like comfort zone, just like break out from all the like tech news or like a Twitter of that and trying to see like what are everyone else is like reading or uh, watching. Um, I'm a huge fan of like Wes Anderson. Not like watching movies is definitely one part, but also like reading the scripts. So stuff like Isle of Dogs. And when you are reading this kind of scripts, because like for the filmmaker or for director, for like scriptwriter, when they are picturing this like scenario of the story, it's the same as like, it's exactly similar as like when you are picturing how the product should look like, how the future of AI should look like, how the user should like interact with AI. So you're trying to simulate different players in this giant simulation or world that you are creating. So watching a lot of artistic movies uh, with complicated stories um, or something like Doom, like I love Doom so much. I watch it 
probably six, seven times. Um, I especially love that because it's not only a fiction, it talks about the future, like how environmentalism gonna be look like in the future when there's like a resource like fight all of that. So that is also a great movie just like to picture like with the advance of the technology, how that would affect like a, how humans um, living in different world, different like a country gonna experience what the future gonna look like when there's a limited resource, when the future gonna future look like when they're like multi-species trying to um, interact with or live with each other. So yeah, I think I'm very drawn to movies and then fictions and then uh, with like very broad and complicated worldview. And of course, I Tai Chen. Tai Chen is also my favorite. I read all his books. And the Exhalation, that I think that was the that is the newest like book he came up probably two or three years ago. He talked about like, oh, there's like one story there talk about uh, how he has this kind of digital companions and how the digital companions is forming their own thought based on their their trainer and their other friends that reacting to them. So. That's also just like how AI agents gonna work in the future because they're gonna start thinking about reacting very differently based on uh, each micro interaction that they receive and signal re they receive from outside and external factors. Um, yeah, so that's a little bit rumbling there, but I get excited when I talk about like what movies and books I read. Dune Two is coming out soon. Is that right? I know. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean. I well, that's what I, I, I heard. So <laughs> that's what that's what I heard too. Who knows if when or if that will happen? I think all these all these ones that you've mentioned they they all have this unique style, and but you could also see the author or the director's like point of view or worldview, right, in approaching these problems uh, or telling the story. And I think it's fascinating. I I personally really enjoy those type of opinionated authors that can say, like, hey. This is how I see the world. And then you as the reader or watcher can choose to be like, okay, I can mm. see that or that person's completely off. I don't agree. Mm. But like without being controversial or without being engaging like that, it's you you won't have that type of relationship with that form of content like or, or media. So I like that. There's a there's a book on like homeless uh, problems in San Francisco. I think like San Francisco. Uh, I think that's the name of the title of the book. And then the author is exactly the type of author that you described, like, very opinionated. So I think like I also enjoy when I read something like that, I keep fighting internally with the author on some of the facts and opinions. But yeah, I definitely agree. You're reading a book, you're consuming it, but you're also like talking with the author or debating with the author at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Well, with that... Thank you so much for talking with me, Chen. Thank you. I really appreciate taking this time to, yeah, come on the Humans of AI podcast, share your story, share what you're doing with Monterey. Yeah, just engage with topics that I hope the listeners find find interesting. Uh, Chen, if for people who would like to follow you or see more, where where can they find you? I try to be active on Twitter and LinkedIn, uh, but you can find me by Chen online. So C-H-U-N uh, O-N-L-I online. Everywhere in every social media, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of that, uh, Instagram too, Threads too. I sh I use the same like handler for everything. So yeah, definitely find me if you want to share like those share like ideas on AI and excited to make new friends. Well, again, thank you so much, Chen, for the time. 
and awesome. wish wish you the best. Hope you have a great rest of the week. Thank you. You too. Hey, thanks for listening to Humans of AI. If you're building something with AI or are perspectives you want to share, drop me a note at alex.humansofai.xyz. And be sure to subscribe to my newsletter, Chaos Theory. Until next time, this is Alex, Resident Chaos Coordinator. <laughs>